Hello and welcome to Brahm's show. This is Brahm and we are in the series Why Christians Must Be Right, written and read by Brahm French. We are on chapter 7, Strong Military. Several years ago, a young lady in the Sunday school class I was attending said one of the most absurd things I had ever heard until now. We were learning about the budgets and practice-making mock budget for the federal government, and this woman cut the military down to nothing and then raised taxes and increased funding for schools and provided free health care. Does this sound familiar? When she shared her team's budget with the class and argued that this was the best way for government to operate, I could not hold back any longer. I blurted out, I see you want a bunch of smart, healthy, dead people. This seems to be the mindset of many on the left. They want free health care, free college education, but want no funds to go towards the one thing that the federal government was originally set up to do. An inadequate military budget will eventually result in either a devastating loss of life due to an attack on our nation or the enslavement of our people by an enemy with a way of life that is inconsistent with freedom, or it may result in both. I choose to accept neither. Ezekiel tells of a story about an army that brought peace. The hand of the Lord was upon Ezekiel and took him out in the spirit in the middle of a valley which was full of bones. The spirit then made him pass around the perimeter of the valley of bones. There were many bones in the valley, and they were very dry. The Lord then asked him if the bones could live. Ezekiel gave a fantastic answer. He said, Lord God, thou knowest. Then the Lord told him to prophesy to the bones and tell them to hear the word of the Lord. Say to the bones, the Lord continued, Behold, I will cause breath to enter into you, and you shall live. And I will lay sinew upon you, and will bring up flesh upon you, and will cover you with skin, and put breath in you, and you shall live, and you shall know that I am the Lord. So Ezekiel prophesied as God had told him. As he was prophesying, he heard a noise, and there was a shaking, and the bones came together. When he looked, the sinews and flesh came on the bones, and the skin covered them, but there was still no breath in them. Then the Lord said to him, Prophesy unto the wind. Prophesy, son of man, and say to the wind, Thus saith the Lord God, Come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe upon these slain, that they may live. And so Ezekiel prophesied as the Lord had commanded him. And the breath came into them, and they lived. Then they stood on their feet, an exceeding great army. In verse 26, the Lord tells Ezekiel that he would make a covenant of peace with Israel and that it would be an everlasting covenant. He further states that he would place them in a good land, multiply them, and put his sanctuary in the middle of them forever. There is no bigger proponent for peace than I. This is the reason I support a strong military. There was no peace for God's people until there was an exceeding great army, and it was revived. Some call for peace while demanding a dismantling of the military. This is the surest way to invite a bully nation to push our country around.
I grew up with siblings who were almost always into some kind of quarrel. They thought they were tough. One day, my older brother found himself in a fight with a neighbor boy. My brother grabbed a stick and began to charge the neighbor. Somebody made a comment about him using a stick, so to show that he was a man, he gave the stick to the neighbor. Well, you guessed it. The neighbor boy did not mind that other kids thought uh, what other kids thought and began to swing the stick at my brother. The neighbor, he won the fight that day. There are countries in the world that don't care what other nations think. They will use whatever is in their grasp to attain victory. Our countries, other countries are bullies who claim to be peaceful but provide the stick to countries who don't mind being seen as bullies or rejoice when those countries find a stick of their own, such as a nuclear bomb. Imagine that you have a five-year-old daughter who goes into the backyard to play. While she's in the backyard, a 13-year-old boy jumps the wooden fence and threatens your daughter with a knife. When she comes screaming into the house, does it make sense to sit down with her and to explain what she did wrong and why she should apologize to the boy for making him want to act in such a way? This is the response from some in politics today. People have come into our country and threatened our lives and liberty. Some of the people who are supposed to protect us have decided to psychoanalyze what happened and now blaming our country for the attack against us. This incident, the boy pulling out the knife, actually happened in my home. My response, however, was much different. When my daughter came screaming into the house, I strapped on my 45 and began to stroll around in the backyard. The boy had already jumped back across the fence, and within a few minutes, a car skid up to the neighbor's house. A voice from inside the car called out to the boy, Are you trying to get yourself killed? Get in! We never had another problem with that boy. When war is declared on this nation, whether from another nation or Muslim extremists, we need to strap on our 45 as a nation and take a stroll. In the war on terror, some would hold high positions in our government. Have They've acted fearfully. They've not wanted to bomb certain sites because it might make our enemy upset. What? You've got to be kidding me. When the men flew the planes into Twin Towers and the Pentagon and crash-landed in Pennsylvania Field, they had a message for America. The message was a hatred for our country and our way of life. The hatred that caused these terrorists to attack and to act is shared by many Muslim extremists who supported their efforts. They were clear on their goal. When we go to war, we need one goal. Win. Our operation should be geared to killing the enemy, forcing them to surrender and causing them to regret the day they ever thought they could make America buckle. America's leaders need to put aside political correctness and the feelings of the enemy and kick their tails. When the enemy wakes up in the morning, one of the first thoughts that should race through their mind should be a question. Will I live to see tonight? Bullies only respect strength. If we want peace, we will find it in a strong military and an armed citizenry. Tactics. Gratefully, our military excels at tactics, technology, and technical warfare. 
The book of Judges gives us an account of what good can be done tactically. When Gideon was about to go to war, the Lord told him that his army was too big to allow God to give Gideon the victory. God's primary reason for this unusual observation was that Israel would think that it had won the battle all by their own strength instead of God's strength. You've got to remember, God does not think like we think. His ways are above our ways as far as the heavens are above the earth. So the Lord told Gideon that he, would, he needed to send home all the soldiers who were afraid. The crazy thing is that 22,000 people left due to fear. Only 10,000 men stayed to fight. The Lord then said to Gideon, The people are yet too many. Bring them down into the water, and I will try them there for thee. And it shall be that of whom I shall say unto thee, This shall go with thee, the same shall go with thee. And of whomsoever I say unto thee, This shall not go with thee, the same shall not go. So Gideon took the people to the water, and the Lord told him to separate the ones that lapped the water up like a dog and the ones that bowed down on their knees to drink. There were 300 men that lapped the water, putting their hands to their mouth. But the rest bowed down on their knees to drink the water. The Lord then told Gideon that he would give victory by using the 300 men. So Gideon let the remainder of his army go and kept only the 300 men. Besides wanting his people's total trust and dependence, God had other reasons for his decision to have Gideon send home those that were afraid and those that got down on their knees to drink. During war, each soldier's life depends on his fellow soldier. Every soldier needs to know that the man standing next to him is confident and capable of fighting for the cause and for his fellow soldier's life. If a soldier is afraid or is on his knees when the enemy approaches, he will not be able to draw his sword or defend himself. However, none of Gideon's army ended up needing a sword for the battle. The army of 300 men surrounded the camp of the enemy. Their weapons were trumpets, vessels, and lights. They put the vessels over the lights, and when they were in place around the enemy, they raised the trumpets to their mouth, blew, and broke the vessels. When the enemy heard the trumpets, they thought legions of military men had surrounded them. Their thoughts seemed to be confirmed when they looked up and saw lights all around the camp. The enemy panicked and turned on each other. They killed their fellow soldier. We would call this type of war psychological warfare. It is still used today. Engaging in psychological attacks reduces expense and amount of resources that would otherwise be required to be victorious. However, psychological warfare only works if you're able to deceive the enemy into submission. The left uses this tactic all the time by telling conservatives that we are the minority and that our ideas belong in the 1800s. We become quiet and we begin to think that we are alone. We are deceived and then submit to their agenda. For the most part, the psychological attacks employed by the left, they have worked. The left speaks of reducing our country's military power, increases, increasing the use of diplomacy. The lessons of scripture show us that diplomacy only works when it's supported by military strength. Lack of military strength and the fortitude to use it is one reason that President Carter's administration could not achieve the release of the hostages held in Iran. 
It took President Reagan's determination and commitment to do whatever it took to free these Americans, to convince the Iranians it was in their best interest to cooperate. Diplomacy is appropriate and helpful when accompanied by strength. The story of Gideon illustrates proper use of diplomacy. Gideon took a servant with him and listened outside the tent to see some of the enemy's army. They spoke of their fear of being annihilated by the army of the Israelites. This fear became a great tool in Gideon's hands. Though scripture compares the enemy to grasshoppers in the field because of their great number, victory would belong to Gideon. The United States of America must maintain a military that is second to none. The Islamic extremists should fear us. Communists should fear us. Fascists should fear us. And so should anyone that would consider attacking our country. When we reduce our military strength, remove military presence from nations that have demonstrated a will to attack our country, and were in favor of attacking us, and play political correctness with nations that have called war on us, we are telling our enemies that we do not have the stomach required to maintain our liberties. This is the wrong message to send to the rest of the world. I believe in diplomacy. However, I believe in diplomacy that works. And diplomacy only works with a position of strength. Diplomacy. Diplomacy works well if you can back up your words with actions. In the book of Exodus, Moses and Aaron spoke to the Pharaoh and told him to let God's people go. Obviously, Pharaoh did not know who the God of Israel was, so he refused to release them. Moses and Aaron then asked Pharaoh to let the Israelites leave for three days so that they could make a sacrifice to the Lord. If he refused, the Lord would fall on Egypt with pestilence or a sword. Again, Pharaoh's heart was hardened and he told them that he would make the labor of the Israelites who were his slaves more difficult. Pharaoh fulfilled this promise by making the slaves gather the straw required to construct the bricks that they were ordered to make every day. Prior to this time, the laborers were able to use straw gathered by the taskmasters. In Exodus chapter 6, verse 1, the Lord said to Moses, Now shalt thou see that I what I do to Pharaoh. For with a strong hand shall he let them go, and with a strong hand shall he drive them out of his land. The following excerpt from Exodus illustrates the fact that strength always supports effective diplomacy. Some elites would tell us that we should show good faith and reduce our country's military strength. However, we can clearly see from the scripture that Pharaoh did not relinquish even after the ninth terrible plague. It was not until the tenth plague of death that he finally let Israel go. Ezekiel chapter 12 verse 28 through 31 says this, And the children of Israel went away, and did as the Lord had commanded Moses and Aaron, so did they. And it came to pass that at midnight the Lord smote all the firstborn of the land of Egypt from the firstborn of Pharaoh that sat on his throne unto the firstborn of the captive that was in the dungeon, and all the firstborn of cattle. And Pharaoh rose up in the night, he and all his servants and all the Egyptians, and there was a great cry in Egypt, for there was not a house where there was not one dead. And he called for Moses and Aaron by night and said, Rise up and get you from my people. Both ye and the children of Israel, go, serve the Lord as you have said. 
Diplomacy is limited by the strength one has and is willing to use. Without military strength, diplomacy will never be able to destroy tyranny. Any nation that attempts diplomacy without military strength will become a slave to the tyrant. Exodus goes on to talk about the Egyptians' pursuit of Israel. Exodus chapter 14, verse 23 through 28. And the Egyptians pursued and went in after them into the midst of the sea, even all Pharaoh's horses, his chariots, and his horsemen. And it came to pass that in the morning, watch, the Lord looked unto the host of the Egyptians through the pillar of fire and the cloud and troubled the host of the Egyptians, took off their chariot wheels, and they drove them heavily. So the Egyptians let us flee from the face of Israel. So the Lord fighteth for them against the Egyptians. The Lord said unto Moses, Stretch out thine hand over the sea, so the waters may be upon the Egyptians, and upon the chariots, and upon the horsemen. Moses stretched forth his hand over the sea, and the sea returned to his strength when the morning appeared. The Egyptians fled against it, and the Lord overthrew the Egyptians in the midst of the sea. And the waters returned and covered the chariots, the horsemen, and all the hosts of Pharaoh that came into the sea after them. There remained not so much as one of them. See, tyrants never give up. They pursue to the ends of the world. In August of 1776, Benjamin Franklin coined the phrase, Rebellion to tyrants is obedience to God. He was comparing the exodus of Israel from Egypt to the overthrowing of English rule in the United States of America. Tyranny not only comes from forces outside our country, but it can lurk in local and state governments and certainly can exist within the federal government as well. This is why our country must remain a strong military and an armed citizenry.